Hey, 2 Timothy chapter 1, open back up to there. We're going to go back there. With the heart of a spiritual father for a spiritual son and an extended opening to his second letter to Timothy, Paul, who was writing from near isolation in a Roman jail cell, gave Timothy some important reminders as well as uh, some practical advice for living out steadfast faithfulness as Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. Uh, last week, Garrett's message, didn't do, Garrett do a great job last weekend. Such a blessing to have him share. Usually if I'm going to be out of, uh, out of pocket, I try to give people a couple of weeks notice or more uh, so they can uh, be ready. But the way that trip came up to Colorado, we thought the Colorado kids were coming here, but we ended up going there. And about a week before, I, asked, uh, I went in and I said, Garrett? And he's like, I knew you were coming to ask. The Lord's already been putting something in me. And, and the, word that, the word that Garrett shared, highlighting Jesus' words about abiding, fit right into the heart of what Paul was encouraging Timothy to do. And one of the things that Garrett talked about was being in sequence with God so that our lives can produce good fruit. And part of being in sequence involves the choices not to resist or get offended with God when he prunes the dead stuff out of us. So that we can keep abiding, keep remaining, and keep resting in God. And it really is our choice not to get offended, not to resist, and to keep remaining, abiding, and resting. Which is why Jesus phrased it, if you remain in me. A recent Brilliant Perspectives post from Graham Cook's ministry says, Rest is the tangible expression of God's presence. When we practice it, we feel his touch, we hear his voice and experience his presence in a renewed way. Rest allows us to guard our inner territory and displace any negatives trying to infiltrate our lives. It is a brilliant weapon against the enemy. Second Timothy chapter one, verse 14, picking up there again. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This word that Paul used for guard means to watch, to, uh, to be on guard, literally or figuratively, by implication, to preserve, to obey, to avoid, to observe, even to prevent from escaping, which speaks to the very real nature and journey that comes with abiding and remaining and resting in God, as well as with the steadfast faithfulness of a spirit-filled life. None of us can do that on autopilot. And it can't be sustained if we go at it with a mind-led way. God's thoughts and ways are so much higher than ours. But he loves to reveal his thoughts and ways to us through the Holy Spirit for those who have ears to hear. In the Amplified, verse 14 reads like this. Guard and keep with the greatest care the precious, excellently adapted truth that has been entrusted to you. I love that. The precious, excellently adapted truth that has been entrusted to you. It speaks of the uniqueness. It's not just one size fits all. It's the precious, excellently adapted truth that's been fitted to you and 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 to you. It's, it's not one size fits all. It's uniquely built into us. There's common threads between it, but God designs it for us. And we're to guard and keep it uh, as something precious, watching over it with the greatest care, this excellently adapted truth, by the help of the Holy Spirit who makes his home in us. Attempting this kind of guard and keep in our own willpower, well, it's better than nothing, but ultimately it will not be enough. By God's perfect design, we need to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit to guard and keep what he has entrusted to us. In his letter to the Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote while Timothy was with him, 
Paul gave four keys to staying in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And the first one is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now, sometimes when you read that verse, you think, come on, I, I, I'm, I, I just can't be happy all the time. I just can't be up all the time. There's sometimes when I'm just not there and it's just not real. And is that what God's wanting me to fake it and just be? He's not asking us to be tigger. The most wonderful thing about tiggers is tiggers are wonderful things. Right? It's made about that, that's not what this word rejoice means. That's not what he's calling us to live like. This word rejoice means to be calmly happy. This word rejoice means to be full of cheer. This, this word rejoice is grounded in the truth that no matter what's going on around us, no matter how I'm feeling, God's got me. And so I can be okay. I, I might not be enjoying it. It might be a really, really tough season. It might be really difficult and hard. But he's still got me. He's still got me. And I can rejoice that he'll never, ever let me go. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That's where the partnership with the Holy Spirit starts. Second, do not be anxious about anything. That is an all-encompassing word, all-inclusive, no exceptions. What happens with anxiety is we project something into the future without Jesus being there with us. Go back to point number one. Rejoice in the Lord always. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He's always got us. There's no situation that you'll step into in the future any different than the one you're in right now where he is right there beside you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, which refers to definitive conversations and requests. God wants us to be engaged in conversation with him. He wants us to pour our hearts out to him. He wants us to, uh, to speak to him on a regular basis. But let me tell you, if you're going to have a really good conversation, after you've done all of that and told God everything, stop enough to listen to what he has to say back. Because it's not a conversation if just one person's talking. Conversation is a, a back and forth. And that's what God, by prayer and petition, we present to him our requests. And here's the game changer. Present your request with thanksgiving. Find, a, find something to be thankful for. Find some way to slip in a thank you, Lord, into that request rather than grumbling and complaining and having a bad attitude and watch what happens. Present your request to God with thanksgiving. I love the Amplified. It says, continue to make your wants known to God. It's okay to be honest with God. It's okay to open up your heart and say, this is really what I want. And then lay it there. It's like an offering we bring to him. It's not a demand. This is what I want. You've got to do it for me. It's, Lord, this is what I want. And you lay it there at his feet. And then watch and see what it does. If that want is something that was his desire and his best for you, guess what? He'll bring that into your life in the right timing, in the right way. But all of us have a history of things that we used to want that we don't want anymore. All of us have a history of times when we thought we wanted something and praise God, he did not give it to us when we wanted that, right? Yes. Yes. But, but my point here is it's okay to be honest with God, to let him know our wants. So rejoice, don't be anxious, prayers and petitions with thanksgiving. We present our requests to God and when we do those four things, here's what happens. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Instead of us having to carry it all and do it all and make it sure it's all working, we're just presenting ourselves to God. And in exchange, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, I don't know why I'm at peace, but I'm at peace, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. 
I've taught this verse for many years. I, I remember early on in my Christian walk uh, uh, finding this verse, and, and I remember embracing it and thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to, I mean, my, the heart is such an important part. So I'm going to do guard duty around my heart. And I know I got to watch my mind. And I'm doing guard duty. And I was doing as best as I could with that. But sometimes you do it well. And then sometimes you blow it. You know, 50-50 success a lot of times. And then I stumbled on this verse and I thought, oh, instead of me having to march and do guard duty around my own heart and mind, if I'll just choose to know that God's got me not be anxious, stay in communication with him, keep being thankful, he will guard my heart and my mind. And he's much better at it than I am. Well, the interesting thing about this guarding that's accomplished by the peace of God is it's a word that uh, means like an advanced warning system. This guarding that the peace of God offers to us is actually a superior level of discernment. And as I got looking at that and digging into that, all of a sudden this thought popped into my mind. For, uh, for many years, I, I had a 2007 Jeep that I drove and uh, loved that Jeep and drove it uh, all the way up to 196-something thousand miles. And uh, I, no, I, w- I would still be driving that Jeep, except some of you guys got crazy in, back in October and gave me a big love offering and helped me put some money together. And so now I'm driving a new car. It's a 2021 uh, Lexus RX350. I have to read the owner's manual for that book to figure out a lot of the things that are going on in that car. But what this superior level of discernment, did you know that on that car, when I'm driving down the road, if somebody comes into my blind spot, a little yellow light comes on in my rear view mirror. Listen, in my Jeep, I was, I didn't hit that. And sometimes I would change lanes when somebody was in my blind spot. But in this car, there's an advanced warning system there. It's like the Holy Spirit guarding our heart. Things in our blind spot, all of a sudden, it's like, wait a minute, somebody's in your blind spot, so you can pay attention to that. This, uh, this, Jeep, this car of mine uh, is a backup camera. And so when you, uh, when you back up, all of a sudden you see behind you, right? And mine even has the lines to show you, and I'm still trying to figure out how to get those in the park, and I hadn't quite got that part figured out yet. I'm working on it, I'm working on it. But I mean, it's got the lines to show you where you're going, but it also, if somebody's coming from the left or right, all of a sudden it goes beep, 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 and it shows you that somebody's coming. Again, I had been looking, I didn't see them, but my car saw them when I didn't see them. That's this guarding and protecting that the peace of God will do. In fact, the other day I was at Billy Jean's and I was backing out and I looked both ways and I'd done all that and I was backing out and somebody walked out through that door and my car stopped. I didn't hit him, not because I saw him for it, but my car saw it. The guarding and protecting that comes with the peace of God will keep you from hitting something that you, you'd look for and didn't see, but it's working even more than you. When I pull into my garage... It starts beeping at me, beep, 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 you know, going close to this door and close to this door, come to the front. It's just, it's just trying to get you into the right spot. And I'm, I'm looking over there to the garage, because trying to get it all the way into my garage so the door will close. And I got a spot that I'm looking at here. And if I go a little bit past it, my car, again, it'll stop. It keeps me from hitting anything up in front of me. There's a protection. Even when you're being hyper vigilant and careful that the peace of God can do in our hearts and minds beyond what we could do on our own. I was even uh, at the stoplight at uh, Walmart there, and then we took off. And um, some, I looked, something happened, and I looked over this way to something that was going on over here. And all of a sudden, my car stopped again because the person in front of me had stopped. I mean, you just anticipate everybody going. But my car stopped itself. I mean, it kind of just broke, right? You know, 
The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ like that if you just choose to rejoice, not be anxious, present all your requests to him, and season it with thanksgiving. And it's also a two-for-one deal. He guards our hearts and our minds. And that's a win. When Paul wrote this letter to the Roman, uh, he was Roman prisoner, and Roman prisoners relied on outside help in order to get the needs that were met. And evidently, Paul was starting to feel a lack of support from the believers in the region around Ephesus. And in particular, he called out two guys who had deserted him. Whenever I find passages like this, it's like, man, I'm so glad the Bible was written before my life showed up. Can you imagine? I mean, you know, showing up as, as one of the good guys in the Bible would be great, but showing up as one of the bad guys in the Bible, and then for hundreds of years, people studying and knowing your name and calling you, oh, this guy deserted. Now, the deserting could be, it could be that just trying to hang out there with Paul in that prison became too much for them, and they couldn't take it anymore. But it could also mean every, as far away as they, they fell away and they forsake the pattern of uh, sound teaching and faith and in love. But even as some guys abandoned him, others stayed faithful and committed. Anesiphorus and his family uh, were continuing to provide that help. And Paul included a blessing for them. Look at verse 15. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. Now, I doubt that everyone in the province of Asia had deserted Paul. I mean, he still had Timothy. He still had some other people with him. You know, there were people that were for him. But sometimes, I mean, Paul's in prison. He knows he's near the end of his life. It's a tough place he's in. Sometimes it feels that way, like everyone has deserted us. And then he said, everyone's deserted us, including Figlius and uh, Hermogenes, P and H. I even hate calling their names because it's like, I, I, I live in a glass house. I ain't throwing stones at those guys. I mean, I know it says they did. But then he says, may the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus because he often refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chains. And on the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Uh, Paul included these words as a moment of grounding for Timothy. It's, it's a grounding when you're pastoring people or when you're um, being in ministry and ministering to people. When that happens, your, your heart can be wide open and good. But when that happens, some of those people will be for you. And some of those people will be against you. And some of those people will remain faithful. And some of those people will fall away. And then Paul turned this reality into a fresh challenge to Timothy. Chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is an echo and expansion of where we started just a minute ago about guard the good deposit. And it comes with some specific instructions about how to get it done. In the Greek, this word be strong means to be empowered to be empowered. But as it dug deeper into this word, it gets even clearer. Be in a fixed position of being enabled and strengthened with supernatural power that's co connected to the miraculous. Be in a fixed position of being enabled and strengthened with supernatural power that's connected to the miraculous. That is the lifestyle of expectancy that God wants all of us to live in. That we are connected to the source. That we are constantly plugged in. It's not like, okay, we plug in on Sunday, we're full power, and then we try to run as long as we can. Kind of like you plug your phone in and you charge it up and then you just let it run until the battery runs out and then you charge it again, right? No, this is like we're staying constantly connected. The life of expectancy, there's no reason to unplug. We can stay at 100%. We can live at 100% in a fixed 
position. In a fixed position of being enabled and strengthened with supernatural power that's connected to the miraculous. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I was blessed to grow up in the church my whole life. I was in the church when I was in the womb. And I'm thankful for the heritage and the history that I have in the church. And, and so from the time, earliest days I can remember, people were talking about grace, grace, grace. And I remember looking up, uh, what is this word grace? And we, amazing grace and grace that is greater than all our sins and marvelous, wondrous, matchless, all these songs we sang. And I'd look in the back of my Bible dictionary and it would say something like grace is God's undeserved favor or merit on our lives. So that's what, I, that's what I was going with for a while. But there was something about that that just didn't settle. And, and the more I pressed into the Lord's presence, I was experiencing grace. And then I heard this word mercy. And so I looked into the word mercy. What did the word mercy say? The, mer- the word definition for mercy is God's undeserved favor and merit on our lives. Wait a minute. Are grace and mercy the same thing? No, they're not. Now, I... I love mercy. I am ruined by mercy. I am so thankful that our God is mercy to the core and that mercy triumphs over judgment. So thankful for that. But it started me thinking there's got to be something more that I'm missing here. And then I was at a, uh, a fullness conference at Lake Country Baptist Church in Fort Worth, Texas. And Pastor James Ryle was speaking. He's one of the guys that helped start the Promise Keepers movement many, many years ago. And that night, he defined grace as this. Grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be who we're created to be so we can do what we're created to do. And inside my spirit, I knew that's it. That's what I've been looking for. That's what grace is. I love mercy. I love it, love it, love it. But this grace is a different thing. It's an empowering presence that enables me to be who I'm created to be so I can do what I'm created to do. And so when you're reading in the scriptures, like even at the start of 2 Timothy, it just says, Grace, mercy, peace from God, Father. You just read that word grace. But next time you see the word grace in your Bible, stop and go, the empowering presence of God that enables me to be who I'm created to be so I can do what I'm created to do. That, that hits you. It's a different, it's a, it's a radically upgraded level of understanding and application for that word. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And many years later, I've come to I think pretty sure that grace is a code name description of the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit in us that is that empowering presence, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And God's grace is the practical equipping we need for every day's life. The Amplified says, be strong, strengthened inwardly in the grace, the spiritual blessing that is found only in Christ. One place it says, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, you don't have Christ in you. And see, it's, that's one of those make or break things. This morning, either you have surrendered the control of your life and you've got the Holy Spirit, or you have not and you don't. From the very start of the service, we were saying, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, come. And the entryway of the Holy Spirit into our lives is surrendering our lives to Jesus and asking him to be our Lord and Savior and forgive us of our sins. The Passion says, live your life empowered by God's free-flowing grace. I love that. It's a constant flow, a free-flowing grace, which is your true strength, found in the anointing of Jesus and your union with him. This verse could also be translated, be empowered by the empowering presence of God. Be empowered by the empowering presence of God, which sounds like a double portion deal. Be empowered by the empowering presence of God. As I was meditating on that, 
I heard this little voice from the spirit inside my head say, go ahead, make my day, you know? (laughs) And that's what he's saying to us today. Verse two, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. One of the ways that we can stay strong in grace is by being an active disciple maker. Uh, All that we learn and experience of the grace that's in Christ Jesus is never intended to be kept just for ourselves. The message says, throw yourself into the work for Christ and pass on what you've heard to leaders who are competent to teach others. Being strong in grace is meant to be expressed as a repetitive pay-it-forward lifestyle. And here's the truth. We are all making disciples. You may think nobody knows you, nobody recognizes you, nobody sees you, and I'm telling you that's a lie. There is not one person here that somebody's not watching, and probably more than one somebody. And some of those somebodies that are watching you may start doing the exact same things you're doing because you're doing it. And some of those somebodies who start doing the exact same thing you're doing because you're doing it may teach other people to do the same thing that you're doing because they watched you do it and they're doing it. And that's how discipleship works. We're all being watched. I I think that is a Holy Spirit wake-up call. People are watching. People notice. It makes a difference how we live each day. And it's also an open reminder for us to be more purposeful and intentional as we work out and walk out our salvation. And consistent with the calling and invitation of all our lives, not only to live as disciple makers, but also leaders and ministers, the Holy Spirit is constantly at work within us, transforming us from the inside out, renewing our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, conforming us more and more into the image of Christ. Because we live in a world surrounded by people who are hungry for the truth, surrounded by people who are ready to be set free from the ways of the world. People who are inwardly longing to be loosed into the ways of God. And many of them just need someone to love them enough to meet them right where they are. Someone to care enough to walk with them out of the darkness and into the light. Someone to lovingly bring and introduce them to our Lord Jesus. And don't let all the negative stuff that's in the headlines these days shape your worldview. Isaiah 9 prophesied of the increase of God's government and peace, there will be no end. So until Jesus comes back, that is what's really going on. And that also means we have the opportunity to be an active part of God's ongoing, on earth as it is in heaven, occupation strategy. As we make it our passion to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, we will find ourselves living led by and moving in step with the Holy Spirit, which will translate into being part of the advancing of the government and peace of Jesus in real and tangible ways that result in the training and raising up of others who are doing the same thing with us. Pablo mentioned a little bit ago about Kentucky, and right now there is a wave of revival that's sweeping across different places in our country and around the world. And each place represents a precious move of God. But listen, don't romanticize that. Here's the truth. Revival comes because believers who are supposed to be living in the light are asleep in the light. And they have to be revived. Revival comes because there's a wave of people who haven't met Jesus yet. And it comes in such a way as to draw 
people to Jesus. So waking up believers, bringing new people into the kingdom, making believers, that's what revival comes for. But listen, but listen, on the other side of a fresh revival move of God, it's God's heart and intention for us to live vived. We are created to live vived. God's fully committed to the manifestation of transformation that comes with the disciplined lifestyles of his mature sons and daughters so that we can live vived the rest of our days. Again, plugged in, in a state of constant fixed position of being strengthened in power with miraculous powers to do the works of God. That's how he wants us and desires for us to live. Verse three, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Endure hardship with us. Paul wrote this from prison. These words are a reminder, reality check from Paul to Timothy. And as amazing as as it is, the privilege to be part of a move and a work of God on the planet Earth, it's not meant to be all easy. And it's not all roses. And we have a historical record of missionaries and martyrs in the faith who've gone before us. And their witness, along with the testimony of Scripture and Jesus' own example, emphasizes that enduring hardship is is a to-be-expected part of working out our salvation. The message says, when the going gets tough, take it on the chin with the rest of us the way Jesus did. This word endure means to undergo hardship, to be afflicted, to suffer trouble. And all of that definition speaks to our need to develop the mindset of a soldier. Now, a lot of times when you're little kids, you play like you're an army guy, you know, and and you might have uh, fascinations in your mind about being a soldier or something. There was a show that just finished a series, 10-week series called Special Forces, and they took 16 celebrity and athlete people, and they ran them through some of the training that Special Forces people go through to figure out who makes it and who doesn't make it. And it was an incredible show to watch the the different things that took place. And there were some big old strong ones and there were some other ones and one by one they start falling out. The girl, one of the girls that ended up finishing all the way to the end of the show, spoiler alert, was was the bachelorette. She was the bachelorette. And when the show started, he thinks she ain't making it anywhere near the end of this thing at all. And, and uh, she, you could just see fear on her at times. And she had asthma and different things. And, and then there, uh, there, what happened for her is that when she was a young girl, some of her relatives had been brutally murdered. And it was close to their house. And it just caused her father to be so afraid and over-hyper-protected over her the rest of her life. So even though she grew up doing pageants and different things like that, there was just this fear that was in her. And one of the things they had him do is swim across this little area with a weighted uh, jacket on. And she did that. But then the next thing they did, they tied your hands and feet and they put you in the water and you take a breath and then you go to the bottom and you push up and take a breath and you just keep doing that until they tell you to stop. About the second time down, she broke her hands free and was doing all that, which is you weren't supposed to do that. And she started to say, I can't, but she caught herself. And then they uh, showed a clip of her talking and she said, in that moment, I decided fear was not going to keep me from doing this anymore. And so she, she had him tie her hands and feet, and then she did the whole thing. She worked, and that girl made it all the way to the end because in that moment, fear broke off. When we're being trained to be a soldier, one of the things we have to get over is fear. Fear is such a debilitating thing. Fear and love cannot exist in the same spot. And she broke through that fear, makes it to the end of the show, an amazing, amazing thing. And this training as a warrior 
we, we, this, this mindset of a soldier. You see, we live in the midst of constant spiritual warfare. Some of it's more obvious than others. And if we remain standing through it all, if we're going to do that, it's important to remain dressed in the full armor of God. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, gospel sandals of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And let me just suggest, don't take that off when you sleep at night. Just wear it all the time. Just wear it all the time. Because there's a lot of stuff that happens at night that it's actually pretty helpful to have the armor of God on when you're sleeping at night to be able to process what's going on. And so we need to remain fully dressed. And it also says, stay engaged in praying in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and petitions. Praying in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayers and petitions and requests is essential for living out the not my will, but yours be done that Jesus modeled for us. And like Jesus, soldiers operate with a clear sense of serving as one under authority. And good soldiers also stay focused on carrying out their orders to completion to the best of their ability. The caution in this verse is just as relevant today as it was when Paul wrote it to Timothy. Don't get involved with civilian affairs. This kind of civilian affairs means busyness. Don't get involved with busyness. It's a trap we're all susceptible to. You ever heard the line, the devil can't make you bad? He'll make you busy. It's far too easy to get busy with things that are less than the best use and investment of God's good that's been entrusted to our stewardship. Oftentimes, our attraction to civilian affairs just comes from a lack of self-discipline. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-discipline, self-control. It's in us. You got what you need in there. Sometimes we get attracted into busyness because of misplaced affections. And interestingly, the specific rebuke that Jesus would give this same church in Ephesus just a few years later was this. You've forsaken your first love. The antidote Paul gave Timothy for staying out of civilian affairs was stay focused on pleasing the CO. Stay focused on pleasing the commanding officer. Verse 5. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to... To the rules. In order to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus, we have to adopt the disciplined lifestyles and mindsets of competitive athletes. Competitive athletes embrace the meritocracy of sports. You get what you work hard for. There are no free lunches. Everybody is replaceable. Competitive athletes are also very aware of and know the rules, and they compete to win according to the rules. And like competitive athletes, being strong in grace requires several things. A strict training regimen, a lot of practice, paying attention to what we put in our body, working on proper mental toughness, and cultivating the will to win. Most people have to learn how to win. And having the will to win means counting the cost, embracing the sacrifices, learning to handle losses, enduring through pain, and creating the drive it takes to overcome all obstacles. God's grace, his empowering presence at work in us through the Holy Spirit equips and inspires us to press on, to take hold of all of that for which Jesus has taken hold of us to be and to do for his namesake and his glory. We're not supposed to be aspiring to live our lives to get a participation trophy. Yesterday afternoon, I was taking my car through the car wash and 
Cindy's car through the car wash, and uh, I was listening to Caleb, and there was a Tim Tebow one-minute inspiration thing on there, and he said his first T-ball game that he ever showed up to at five, when he was five years old, coach got the guys all together before, and he said, all right, boys, it doesn't matter whether we win or lose, we're just here to have fun. And Tim said, I looked at the coach and said, it's only fun when we win, coach. <laughs> five-year-old, he's a five-year-old. You can still see that drive in his life today. The, one of the first sermons ever preached was from this verse, 1 Corinthians 9, 25. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Do what it takes. Don't settle for anything less than running to win. Verse 6. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Farmers are another good example of disciplined lifestyles. Farmers understand seasons. They also understand process. You break up the ground, you plant, you water, you reap, and then you let it rest. And then you do it all over again. Same process. Farmers recognize the importance and the necessity of good soil as well as rotating crops. And they also live with an open dependence on the Lord. We can do everything that we know how to do, but if you don't send the rain, nothing's growing here. Farmers do receive the first share of their crops, but they purposely produce more than what they just need. They intentionally work to produce enough crops to share with others. And disciplined lifestyles position us to work for more than just our own benefit. One of the note here, the King James says, the farmer is the first partaker of the fruits. And that word fruits there, it's the word plucked fruit. It's the finished product. And it's a word Jesus used many times. Matthew 3, 8, Jesus said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit, plucked fruit, finished fruit in keeping with repentance. Understanding and faithfully practicing repentance is essential to being strong in grace. Matthew 7, Jesus said, by their fruit, you will recognize the false and the true, the bad and the good. Disciplined lifestyles call us toward the true and good and away from the false and bad. Matthew 21, Jesus spoke of the fruit collecting day to come and of a time when he'll be looking for those who will give him his share of their crops. Jesus also taught that the kingdom is given to people who produce its fruit, its finished product. Only as we adopt disciplined lifestyles will we be positioned to be some of those people. Verse 7. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Reflect on what I'm saying. In disciplined lifestyles of soldiers, athletes, and farmers, there is a wealth of wisdom and revelation to be gleaned. The Amplified says, think over these things I'm saying. Understand them. Grasp their application. The Passion adds, may our Lord inspire you with wisdom and revelation in everything you do and say. The Message Bible just simplifies and says, think it over. God will make it plain to you. Yes. Remember Jesus Christ. That's the bedrock foundational key to becoming strong in grace. Remember Jesus Christ. The Passion says, make Jesus the anointed one your focus in life and ministry. The Amplified says, constantly keep in mind Jesus Christ, the Messiah. In Greek, to remember 
means to exercise the memory, to exercise the memory of Jesus, our thoughts about him. It also means to recollect and meditate upon him. And it even means to rehearse and repeat the facts and particulars of his life. I just want to again say many times it is helpful to your ears to hear you talking about Jesus. Not just thinking thoughts about Jesus, but to hear you talking about Jesus. It's powerful. It releases something. It changes the atmosphere. It's one of the, sometimes the way we end up talking about Jesus is just the songs that we're singing. And as we're releasing that song, it changes things. But it's important to get it out of us into the atmosphere and your ears love to hear. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus paid the full price so all of us can be strong in grace. And remember this, even now he ever lives at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us as our advocate. Jesus was the word made flesh. And in order to stay strong in grace, we need an ever fresh love for God's written and rhema words, as well as a sincere desire to be and become those words, not just hear them, not just read them, but to be and become an expression of those words. God's word is not chained. On the contrary, God's words are living and active. God's words don't return to him without accomplishing the purpose for which he sent him forth. And the result of choosing to align ourselves in agreement with and submission to God's written and rhema words is instinctively living more disciplined lives. Remember Jesus Christ. It also inspires us to keep living and laying down our lives for other people. Being strong in grace is the fuel we need to press on and press through to see the gospel of salvation proclaimed and demonstrated to the elect is the phrase that Paul used here, which does not mean to a select few. Without a doubt, the elect is best understood to mean every single person in the whole wide world. For God so loved every single person in the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. John 3, 16. Let me finish with some words from 2 Peter. God is patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. So then since you're looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Therefore, dear friends, be on guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and loose-talking teachers and lose your firm grip on the truth. Instead, continue to grow and be nourished in grace, in the empowering presence of God, and continue to grow and increase in God's knowledge as well as in intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these just living, true, relevant, practical 
calls. Lord, we all have places where we need to tighten up the ship. We all have ways that we need to bring our lives more into agreement and alignment with your spirit. Even this morning, Lord, forgive us for when we disconnect, when we think we can plug in and then, then, then disconnect and run on our own, Lord. We want to stay connected. We want to stay in the flow of who you are and let your spirit and your empowering presence continually strengthen and enable us to be who we're created to be so that we can do what we're created to do. Fire and wind, come and do it again. Open up the gates and let heaven rush into our lives and let us live as a visible demonstration of the goodness of God on the planet in these days. And we thank you for the opportunity to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.